I think a lot of what you see in the media and in the movies and even to what the press is reporting on today, it's either going to be like super highly generalized or so incredibly detailed and specific about a specific exploit. And, you know, like you don't really understand 80% of what's going on. And a lot of people just think it's like some black box. There's some like magic incantation that happens. And then voila, there is a hack that occurs. And I think what most people don't realize is that there's actually quite a bit that you can do to protect yourself and that the techniques are in and of themselves individually fairly straightforward, but it's the combination of these misconfigurations, these bad passwords, overly exposed attack surfaces, missing patches that combine to create a situation where somebody could break in or take advantage of your assets or systems. Well, welcome back to Cloud Talk. I'm Jeff Deverter, your host. Now here at Cloud Talk, we strive to help decode the ever-changing world of technology to help you apply it to your business so that hopefully you'll have one more tool in your arsenal to help improve your business and those around you. Now, in today's episode, we continue with National Cybersecurity Awareness Month with a discussion with a security professional named Vinny Liu. Now, Vinny has made it his life's work to help his client companies find issues with their code or configurations before the bad guys do, and to help keep their companies off the headlines as the latest cyber casualty. And as always, stick around after the interview. There's some great info out there. Hey, if you haven't already subscribed, now's a great time to do that as you listen to this week's episode of Clown Talk. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. Regardless of the depth of tech that you and your organization dig into, you're certainly aware that the bad guys, they're doing bad things on the internet. And if you delve into the topic a little deeper, you find that these bad guys are basically, well, they're looking for flaws in software or even in configurations and how they might exploit that to get access to information, to slow down your computers, to sit and wait for an optimal time. Well, to dig into that topic a little bit more today, I'm joined uh, by a couple of great guys. So Gary Alterson from Rackspace is here. He's no stranger to the program. Glad you're back, Gary. But also Vinny Liu from Bishop Fox, who has just got years and years of experience of coming through code and configuration, helping companies, well, just make sure that the door stays locked. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Hey Jeff, good to see you again. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, so, so, uh, so, Vinny, you've uh, you've been with Bishop Fox for a little while. You're the CEO over there. Um, mm-hmm. I got to ask you this question: When was the first time in your in your career that you thought, you know, cybersecurity that could be fun? What led you <laughs> down that path? Um, you know, I think it's it's pretty interesting for me because I've been in this space for my entire career. Um, before it was called 
cybersecurity, it was information security. And then before it was even really information security, I think there was only a very niche group of people that uh, almost referred to it as information warfare, right? Back when it was truly only the domain of NSA, nation state, and, and nation state hadn't even been coined, right? I mean, there were countries that we consider like China and Russia and, and were just getting their capabilities started. And so, you know, I, I really got started in the space back when there were bulletin board systems and, you know, you were downloading text files and zines and frack was where you got information. And that's, that's how you learned about things. Um, and, uh, and, and it has evolved tremendously since then, but, um, I, you know, career wise, I always knew that I wanted to do something related to hacking and that that was really where my passion laid. And so that, that's what got me started. And I, I had, had, I've basically had this focus since I was 13 or 14. Amazing. Well, obviously you chose at some point to put a white hat on and not a black hat, which is why we're able to have this conversation today. <laughs> since you're fighting <laughs> for the right. good guys here. So, so maybe Gary, I'll ask you the same question. How'd you get into, into uh, IT security and uh, cybersecurity, however you want to phrase it? What, what caught your attention? Oh, gosh. I could go back probably a little bit further than Vinny. Uh, when I started college, we, we searched the internet on something called Gopher at the time, uh, or, or only FTP'd between uh, servers. Um, so long, long time ago, uh, long career in IT, and at some point, uh, I was working for an insurance company, and they came to me and, and they were like, you know some stuff, you configured some firewalls for us. Um, why don't you be a security architect for us? And, and I, I was the first security architect, uh, uh, purpose-built, who wasn't an ID administrator at the time. Uh, so Interesting. So you both kind of come at it from different angles, you on the IT side, and you kind of got thrown into into it from, I'll call it a bottoms-up perspective. But, you know, Vinny, you're kind of coming at it going, I don't, I don't know what the application is necessarily going to be, but 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 this, this whole, how do I help secure things to help keep the bad guys out? Now, when you were downloading Zs, what, what decade are we talking about here? When, when, when was that? And what were the bad guys trying to do at that point? Well, honestly, um, it, we're talking about the mid nineties, yeah. the, the zines, like short for magazines, yeah. um, the bad guys, it was just a bunch of kids on IRC mm-hmm. having internet turf wars, right? Just trying to kick each other off of one server to the next or taking over, you know, academic research computers for their computing power. It, it was very, very, very early on. Yeah. And, you know, it, you know, single digit DEFCON days, right? Yeah. Like that's, that, that that's kind of the, the space that we're talking about. And, um, for me, it was always just fascinating to under to try and understand how the systems were working and then how to, how to find your way around them. And, and then at some point I realized that there was a career around this and, and it was actually through IRC and knowing and meeting people in that community that somebody had referred me over to, um, a program that the NSA had for um, kind of talented uh, younger people. Sure. And so my, my first professional experience was actually directly after high school where I went to work for the agency for a couple of years and uh, as part of a program that they had to hone that and, and continue to refine my, my technical 
capabilities and skill sets. Well, that's really interesting because I think, you know, it's important for us to understand, you know, we're in a very interesting slash scary situation of where we are, you know, here in 2021. And, uh, but, but it comes from somewhere. And my concern, and the reason we're doing this podcast is that I want to ensure several things. The first is that most people don't think that a hacker is still a, a, excuse the phrase, but a pimply-faced high school kid in a basement try, just trying to see if they can and trying to see what's there just to know if they can accomplish the, the situation. Because, you know, at that point in your mid-90s, you know, you, you we mentioned the nation states, and they're looking at this as uh, intelligence gathering. They're looking at it as a, as a mm-hmm. tool of war, I mean, quite literally. And, uh, but, but, but I'll call it commercially or in the civilian space, it's, you know, there aren't a lot of targets. So really it's just a, how can I, or could, can I do it? And can I make somebody mad in the process? You know, if you can, you know, take down, a, you know, compromise a few machines or some decent power, then maybe you can deface a website or you can make an, a website unavailable. I mean, it's, it's, I'd say that's the extent of what you're going to get at that point on the civilian mm-hmm. side, but it's sort of the extent you're going to get. But we find ourselves in a very different world today. The, the stakes are higher because they're so, there's, there's, there's so much more to attack. You know, if you compare, you know, if I were to ask you, Gary, how was your online banking experience in 1995? Uh, you know, it's a non-existent banking experience. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you've, you've got an ATM card and that's the extent of it. Um, but when we think about today and there isn't a bank, at least a legal one, that you can't go and utilize online uh, and everything else is available, which means the attack surface is massive and the tech, the techniques have evolved, capabilities have evolved. And I have to imagine, uh, Vinny, that this is part of sort of uh, with your, your interest in security uh, and pursuing it as a career and doing it on the, on the, the white side and not the, the black hat side, but um, that, that drove you towards, you know, ultimately even forming a company, Bishop Fox, to, to help companies be better. Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, it speaks to kind of, Bishop Fox, you know, we've been around for 16 years and have had a singular focus on offensive security testing, which is another way of saying finding ways to break into networks, applications, products, infrastructure, um, because that is what attackers are doing. And I think one of the interesting things is that 15 years ago, that was a very, very niche offering a service that, you know, the big four might have a small team that could offer it to some of their most sophisticated customers. But in terms of having an industry or even a a subsection of the industry around it, it didn't exist. Yeah. But as attacker techniques and as the maturation of both nation state and economically motivated attackers has grown and they've seen what they can get out of it, the, the, the shifting nature of that, the, the aggressiveness of their, of their behavior has prompted organizations to rethink about how they're actually building their defenses and actually begin to test their defenses and prove their defenses um, instead of just saying, hey, well, we, we put a fence up. We, we don't know whether it works or not, but there's a fence. Right. Yeah, or even put a fence up. We don't know if it's around the right building, but there is a fence up. Right. Yeah. It may not be complete, but you know, it's a partial fence. It'll stop. <laughs> Don't we get credit for that? Can we get credit yeah. for that? 
Well, you make a great point, and that is the the, uh, the whole purpose of, of what you do at Bishop Fox is to is to commercially help companies make sure that 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 you find issues with software or configuration before the bad guys do, because that's what they're doing. If they're not actively exploiting, they're looking for the exploit. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and, and and I think there's something to be said about like the the. The, the act of hacking and like what the, the, the process of it. I think a lot of what you see in the media and in the movies and even to what the press is reporting on today, it's either going to be like super highly generalized or so incredibly detailed and specific about a specific exploit. And, you know, like you don't really understand 80% of what's going on when you're talking about how are bad guys actually going after your systems. And a lot of people just think it's like some black box. There's some like magic incantation that happens. And then voila, there is a hack that occurs. And I think what most people don't realize is that there's actually quite a bit that you can do um, to test, to protect yourself. And that the techniques are in and of themselves individually fairly straightforward, but it's the combination of these misconfigurations, these bad passwords, overly exposed attack surfaces, um, missing patches that combine to create a situation where somebody could break in or take advantage of your assets or systems. Yeah. You know, I was just reading uh, a little bit about uh, I've been looking at reading a bunch of the different, you know, more high profile hacks or things that have, have occurred. And your point, you know, I was just thinking about um, Stuxnet, you know, and that was the the virus that went in and took control ultimately of the control boards that managed the RPMs of the um, uh, the centrifuges in Iran to help them enrich uranium. Mm-hmm. And the way that worked, you know, it was it was just a simple little bug that wrote on a on a USB drive. And once it was in, it looked like a link file or, you know, the, the icon file for what's on there. And, and it just waited for somebody to try to print something. And then it made use of a Microsoft exposure uh, and, and basically just kind of found its way through. So it's, you know, I think your point is very well taken. It's not some grandiose black box kind of whatever, but ultimately it's a little hole there. It's a little opportunity over here that maybe the company never considered, you know, that, that somebody would actually would look at it that way. Actually, uh, I have a question then, Vinny, uh, to sort of follow up on that. When organizations get a pen test uh, or, or even when they look at their vulnerability scans, right, there's there's a lot of focus on have I fixed the critical, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, and, and maybe once they, they check off the critical, they go, OK, we're, we're done until we get another critical. Um, maybe you can talk about your experience in um the less than critical vulnerabilities and how those can be sort of used together to, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, expose an organization. That, that is a great question, Gary. And I, I think it, it really sets the stage for me to even link in what Jeff was just talking about in terms of these, this, these series of steps that need to be taken for an attack to be successful. And, on the surface, you might think, oh, being able to copy a file off of a USB it, it is not a critical vulnerability. It is you know, maybe something that's unsafe, but it's not critical. You're not going to stop the factory to make sure USBs can't be plugged in. And it speaks to this misconception that's often out there, which is to say that there's like a silver bullet exploit that magically just you, you, you press a button 
you click it and all of a sudden you have access to everything, you know, in, in a, in a power plant or in a refinery or a, a hydroelectric dam or something like that. Now, those do exist, but they are the result of hundreds of hours of careful observation and monitoring and, and analysis and, and reverse engineering because you have to then figure out all the steps that then get chained together in an automated fashion. I mean, like, but in reality, it's just a combination of a bunch of small steps. And that's kind of where I think people assume that there's this magic bullet because there's this big critical vulnerability that exists in your perimeter. And once you've taken care of all the criticals and maybe the highs, the medium and lows, those can just kind of wait. I don't have to address those. But the reality of the situation about how attackers actually operate and how we operate when we're emulating attacker behavior is that we love sensitive information disclosures, unnecessary attack surface, little files here and there that you don't think mean a single thing to you, but provide an attacker with a wealth of information about your environment that allow us to, instead of experimenting and inferring what we ha- what, what you might be running or what types of technologies you may have, we know because we can, we can profile everything that this organization might be doing just by spending a lot of time listening, watching, reading, and observing. And so that makes the attacker or our attempts to exploit and gain control that much easier. And, and so what I find is that most organizations with the misperception that it's only criticals that are important, they only patch those, I think is what you're, you were suggesting, Gary. And I, I do think that is true. And the, this, this industry standard around always labeling every issue with a severity level actually is a just a, a vendor defined severity level. It doesn't actually relate to anything that you may like you should be applying your own severity level to it because they can't tell you how important it is to your organization. It, it's totally devoid of context. And, and that approach and that model, I think is one of the ones that was, you know, that, that came around 10 years ago when there was, you know, a handful of serious vulnerabilities that were released every year. But today, fast forward five, 10 years later, you're getting a critical vulnerability every week that's getting released. According to the vendors. According to the vendor. I love the point that you make that, you know, the, the critical or non-critical is truly just a vendor driven, um, you know, moniker as far as, Hey, it's a, it's a, it's a whole big, as big as you can drive a truck through, but you know what, that window that they could just peer through may give them just enough information to be able to see just enough information on five or six pieces of paper, if you will, to use the analogy, um, to piece together what they need to do the next thing that they need to do. Cause it's the, it's, they're playing a long game. I mean, there's, there, there's no flash in the pan here. This is a long game, which is why it was a nation state activity before because they had the wherewithal to put a bunch of people in a really dark room in a really secure place to just watch, to just pay attention, to test and play, uh, to figure that stuff out. And I think, you know, to build on the point also is it's not always just those massive issues. Sometimes it's a social engineering, you know, uh, opportunity. And sometimes it's just looking at a very small crack through the, through the wall that in the right circumstance, again, becomes a very big issue. Go back to, you know, the, the Stuxnet example. None of those were glaring holes, but pieced together in a way that nobody would have ever thought of piecing them together. 
mm-hmm. was was catastrophic. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, Gary, as you as you've been involved uh, from the inside of organizations and helping to secure things up, you know, you've you've spent a lot of time here talking about it's not just how big of a wall that you build. You still got to build the wall. There's no getting around building the wall. But, you know, how you engineer inside to limit blast radius or if somebody makes it through the crack, you know, they're only seeing one room. They're not seeing the entire organization. Uh, and so you've had that opportunity. What are, you know, I'll, I'll look to you for some advice that you might have for the listeners on, you know, how do you approach modern um, defensive security? Let's And let's define defensive and offensive security because we've been throwing around offensive security here for a second, which sounds cool, but it needs a definition. So I'll leave it to you, Gary. De- definition on defensive security. And, and Vinny, you're going to get offensive in a second. Yeah, so defensive security to me is... Uh, essentially the the measures or controls you in place put in place to um, reduce attack surface uh, uh, prevent uh, an issue or, or prevent an attack uh, um, to or to um, slow down an attacker and make them as noisy as possible and and probably more so these days, the, the last two, which is I'm going to make you slower and as noisy as possible. So it gives me enough chance to detect and, and then actually re- respond to that. Um, to, to me, that the, it's those defensive techniques, you know, that go anywhere from, you know, putting in place purpose built security controls to um, managing my, my attack surface through good hygiene, you know, remo- removing vulnerabilities, fixing vulnerabilities, patching, et cetera. And, you know, hardening configurations and um, in, in good monitoring so, so that we can detect and, and then go to a response sponsor posture when we need to. Excellent. So I'm going to call that doing all the right things, all the things you should do. So we're going to put up the right walls. We're going to make it noisy. We're going to limit limit access. So now let's flip over to offensive security. So so in light of that definition also, Vinny, you know, how would you define offensive security? I, I think it's a great it's a, it's a great setup for me to define offensive security because what we're doing is we are finding the systems that are not patched. We're finding the misconfigurations. We're finding instances where two-factor authentication or bad passwords exist. We're looking for insecure applications through you know poor code development practices. And, and we're looking for um, sensitive information disclosure, right? Uh, overly exposed attack surface or you know, where if you're leveraging GitHub and you have secrets stored within the, that, the, those code bases or configuration files, like attackers are taking advantage of the complementary things that defenders are trying to reduce and take away from. And it's this, this game of tit for tat that has shifted um, over the years to be one where attackers are much more aggressive and continuous in terms of like automating and profiling what your attack surface is. So if there's one thing that I would say has changed. We talk about it being old, an old, an old art that is constantly being evolved. One of the things is the fact that that most people don't realize it's not opportunistic in the sense that like, oh, they they see something and they're going to go after it because they saw you in the news. No, the, the, what's happening now is they are literally profiling everybody continuously, looking for any weakness the moment it is exposed. Because of the, the the ability to take advantage of like cloud computing resources, for example, just spinning up and having massive scale available at your fingertips with just a credit card, 
has actually enabled a whole new generation and a whole new level of offensive uh, activity by malicious parties that most people don't realize is actually happening today. And that's, that, that's a scary thing. It's astoundingly scary because I had never actually thought through that, that use of, hey, isn't it great to have a scale groups so that I can get a lot of resources in one quick shot? Sure. How about the bad guys who are going to do that to ultimately try to, you know, power drive a hole through or, or massively, you know, port scan or, or application, you know, test your, your environment to see if there's any way that they can get in. And then, you know, chances are they're probably doing it with a stolen credit card. Chances are it's not a real address and chances are they're gone five minutes after they start. Right. And, you know, you're getting paid in Bitcoin from your most recent ransomware, you know, success story. And then you, you know, use that and you leverage that. And it's it's a whole industry. If you read any of the ransomware reports, you know, there are tool manufacturers. They have customer support. They've got, I mean, we're talking about a, a proper division of responsibility where there's a, there's an economy around it. It's, it's like they are corporations they're, they're they're just corporations doing not nice things right well right. in our in our in our prep for this you know and we were having one of our of our chats Vinny, you mentioned that you know crime has just moved online i mean they the organized crime this is organized crime just done in a digital fashion and you know i've, I've had some chats with folks on here where we talk about the fact that you talk about there's tooling there's customer support well there's whole organizations who do the work and and have a an established partner program to get mm-hmm. the right people in for the specialties that they need well, people are getting reputations. They're getting rated based on how well they deliver their services to other dark crime groups, right? It's like, yeah, these are just the go-to people for this tooling and they have really good, you know, uh, customer support and their tooling is reliable. It's Right. So we, we paint a bleak picture. So we paint a bleak picture here. We've already established nation states still do things at scale. We've, we've established the fact that on the, on the dark side, on the commercial side, it's, it's established and it's big. And that's why, you know, companies like Bishop Fox exist. That's why, you know, what, what piqued your interest of, can I do it now? How can I help people make sure they stay out of the way? So Gary used the term before pen testing or penetration testing, which is, you know, I'll let you define it. You're the expert in the space. And why do people do that for specific apps? Yeah. I, so, so that, that's great, right? So penetration testing. Um, and, and if you think about offensive security, the term is loaded, uh, right? In, if, you, if, you're, if you're in the government, offensive security means going after other governments or groups, right? But in the private sector, in the commercial space, you, you, you think about it really much more around. And, and I think this is where the leading edge companies from a risk perspective are thinking about it. They think of it as proactive defense. How do you take offensive testing, penetration testing, code review, red teaming, you know, a lot of these terms that you hear, how do we take and emulate what attackers are doing to test our own defenses and to test our own systems? Because if we can find the weaknesses and vulnerabilities and exposures before the bad guys can, then we have an opportunity to fix it so they can't take advantage of it. And so instead of just building more walls more times and having several walls and several layers, this defense in depth strategy, I think they're shifting into saying, you know what, the, the difference between the ninth and 10th layer of this wall is starting to have diminishing returns. Perhaps we try something different. And so we see this sort of shift within certainly like finance and some of the more regulated industries. But I think you're seeing it across the board to say, we're not responsive enough and we're not fast enough. So pen testing went from 10 years ago of try to break in and 
tell me what you find uh, or find all the vulnerabilities that you possibly can into really sort of the most modern version of penetration testing uh, really comes down to like an in-depth source code review of an application for coding practices, a deep dive application penetration test where you're really exercising and trying to identify vulnerabilities, both syntactical uh, security vulnerabilities, as well as business logic flaws, which is, I think, an area like many, many organizations as their you know, SaaS applications of becoming platform organizations are wanting to know not only is there a vulnerability that might allow an attacker to steal my customer database, but are my customers going to get abused or are the users on my customers going to be abused by the platform in some way? Um, and and, and that, that fraud and abuse aspect is a new layer that most people haven't thought about traditionally versus like, can I find a cross-site scripting or a SQL injection issue? And the the third version of that is red teaming, which is a term that's also overly loaded today. Some companies abuse that to say, oh, it's just like the new word for penetration testing. But I think the evolution is really, it went from, can you break into in this scenario with this context, emulating this threat actor group, can you break in using the same tools and techniques uh, that they have adopted. And so, so we're seeing a lot more sophisticated scenarios um, and having those executed on an ongoing basis. So I love the, the, the definition or the, the reclassification, if you will, from, from defensive and offensive, really defend offensive in our context is active defense. Um, so that's, that's awesome. And I think it's incredibly important to do that sort of thing. And I love the definitions or the, the segregations, if you will, that you're driving around penetration testing to red testing, you know, when you th- uh, red teaming, excuse me. But when you, because when you think about that penetration testing, the only time I hear this term is when, um, when an app is getting ready to be commissioned and, and head out, they go, okay, uh, go, go get, uh, go contract for the penetration testing. And I love the fact that you guys are in the code and you're looking at it, but you're looking at it in that silo, generally speaking. And I love the fact that you're also calling up business logic because, you know, you gotta, you gotta look at that as well. And so, you know, you know, it's going to happen, you know, it's going to be, you know, Monday at three 30. So everybody, everybody's ready. Everybody's watching. What's the result going to be? Um, but in that red teaming, you know, it's let's let's behave like the bad guys behave. And let's not just look at the silo, but let's look at the entire, entire, entire picture. I think there's also a sort of a spectrum and a journey folks go on in terms of offensive security. Like the first exposure to penetration testing many organizations have is, hey, I have to be PCI compliant and I need a pen test because PCI tells me. Right. And that's for a very specific you know, it's part of the silo. very specific environment, tightly scoped. You, you know, you need to do it. You, you want to just check the box to understanding as I evolve my the maturity in my organization, the value of having some comprehensive testing and, and, and different layers of testing, the network penetration testing, deep application testing, both, you know, white box, black box testing and. Uh, you know, then to wider sort of red team teaming scenarios, um, and, and even potential potentially beyond that. You know, looking to you know almost continuously monitor uh, and validate attack surface and things like that. You know, that's there's there's that maturity there. Uh, I think that organizations 
have to take a walk through as they mature their program. Maybe Vinny, talk a little bit about you know what you see in terms of context when organizations, you know, what is the right time to do various tests. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd say broadly speaking, you've kind of planted the flag on where organizations typically begin, which is to say that it's usually a compliance or regulatory requirement that, or a, a, actually, I would say these days, much, much more these days is customer driven requirements. Um, commercially, they're expecting you to have proven some level of diligence, but but it's usually that type of requirement that is the seed for a first experience in it. To say you need to have these things, and, and, and at this point, like whether you know most industries, if not you know a, a within the next five years, almost all industries are going to have some type of requirement for testing. If I, you know if I had to if I had to put money on it, and and the and and the customer requirements, I think are the even bigger driver from what's been driving our business is if you're going to sell to enterprise, if you're a B two B organization, it's no longer okay just to say raise your hand and say, yeah, we, we do security. They want you to prove it. You know, in light of the recent attacks like solar winds on the supply chain, in light of the, you know, vulnerabilities that we're seeing released within software and applications every single day, it's it's gotten to the point where nobody trusts that anymore unless you have a third party validated. And so you, you've got that point in time approach. But the evolution that we're seeing within organizations is that, 10 years ago, again, it's it was point in time because that what kind of fit into the waterfall model, but as Agile and DevSecOps and DevOps have really produced a much more continuous feature functionality release cycle, these organizations are shifting towards a more ongoing and repeated, so much more frequent, smaller approach to doing testing against those applications and, and, and platforms that they're building. Um, and that's, I think, what a lot of what you're seeing in the space today. So, Vinny, I spent a little time on the on the Bishop Fox website, uh, bishopfox.com, for those interested. Uh, you've got an offering around that, and I, th- I think it's extraordinarily compelling. The Cast offering. I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So there's so so Cast really speaks to and addresses philosophically how do we get ahead of the bad guys um, because they're moving faster than we can because the current you know traditional tooling is run a vulnerability scanner, throw 50,000 checks at the IPs that we give you um, and hammer every one of my assets until you give me, you know, 10,000 results that I have to sift through that I'm not even sure if it's fully legitimate or not. And we're saying that's all well and good, but unless you have teams upon teams of people whose only job is to sift through those results and have the expertise to determine whether they're vulnerable or not, what you're probably more concerned about is what can attack or take advantage of? How do I get to just the goods? And our CAST solution really does two things. It continuously identifies our customer's attack surface so that they know what they've got exposed externally. Uh, Then we test for the things that attackers are actively going after on your perimeter and the things that we know across all the categories, misconfiguration, sensitive information disclosure, missing patches, bad password or authentication and insecure apps. And when you do that and you, do, and you adopt that mindset of the attacker, it gives, it gives customers uh, the ability to have a four, maybe five day window in advance of when, and that's our goal is to give them a heads up before an attacker can come through and take advantage of it. And that's the name of the game today. Yeah. If that's you can get a couple of days, if you can get more than a couple of minutes in some cases, that's fantastic. Yeah. 
That's yeah. fantastic. All right, so um, I feel like we have about five more hours of content, but we we, we got to we got to keep it in time here. So so video, I'll, I'll turn it back to you. We've hopefully put the fear of God into some folks that there there's a level of um, they could they can up their game in the cybersecurity space. But uh, let's let's go back to the basic stuff. What can people do today to help ensure they don't end up on the front page? Yeah, I I, I, I say the 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 what I would impart to most people is that. If you do a few things and you do them really well, you will have most of the risk solved. That includes looking to reduce your, like knowing what your attack surface is and then reducing it, consistently applying patches, making sure that you've got two-factor authentication, um, you know, and, and basic application secure code development practices. Um, that last one's a little bit harder than the earlier ones, but if you just get the basics in, and it doesn't have to be anything crazy to get started. You will actually raise the bar far higher than most opportunistic attackers are going to want to spend time to, to go after it. And, and that's, that's probably a, a, a message that I'm sharing that's contrary to a lot of what the industry is trying to sell people, which is like fear, 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 you know, what, you know you're going to get hacked eventually. And I actually feel, and like attackers have the advantage. You've got to defend everything. It's like, no, you've actually just got to do a handful of things really, really well, get good at them. They're boring. They're not sexy. Patching is not sexy. Nobody's ever felt like that was like the the coolest thing to do, but it will go so far. It's like washing your hands. Yeah. It's just like cover your mouth when you cough and wash your hands. Wash your hands. Everybody did that. (laughs) Yeah, we'd be so much farther along. Um, Gary, I'll throw it over to you as well. What recommendations as folks just think about getting started or what's the next best thing they can do? Yeah, I'm going to echo Vinny. Uh, And I know, Jeff, this is, I sound like a broken record on this, uh, on these podcasts. Um, But that basic hygiene, you know, patch, harden, um, you know, patch, harden, block. And, 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 you know, do some of the basics of application security. Then he said it very much more nicely than I would say. I would say you just don't want to be the slowest one in front of the hungry bear. Um, and, you know, when, when you are practicing good hygiene and you are slowing down those, uh, um, those attackers, um, the opportunistic ones are, are going somewhere else. The determined ones, you're slowing them down, making it more noisy, uh, giving you a better chance to, uh, to try to detect. Um, so, well, I'm also the same thing. As yeah, Vinny. same thing as Vinny. So, I'm also one of the mindset that um, that a faceless enemy or fear of the unknown is one of the greatest things that just slows people down. It creates inertia. So, so how about I, I think putting a face and an understanding to the to the hackers. Their maturity uh, to the, to the bad guy, I think, is is really important. I've talked about um, Nicole Perloff's book on this in, in the past, just because it does a great job, in my opinion, of painting the picture of this historically, as well as the tools and techniques. Um, so, so Vinny, any any book recommendations just to help? And I'll use the word demystify um, this whole space for the non security professional. I, I think the one that I listened to recently on audiobook was the perfect weapon that I found really, really interesting in that it tied together a lot of the stories that I've been following over the years from a very different perspective. But I'd say that it also was very inspiring to, to, to me to know that, you know what, we're, we're fighting the good fight here. 
And our, our mission of keeping people safe, both online and offline, is really one that is meaningful. That's great. I'll have to check that one out. I don't know that one. All right. Well, well, gentlemen, thanks so much for being on. Again, I think this is the first, you know, 35 minutes of a five-hour podcast. So we're going to have to come back and do this again and, and dig a little deeper. So, so Gary and Vinny, thanks so much for being a part of the program today. Uh, Vinny, how can people find you and or Bishop Fox, although I did call out the website before? Uh, yeah, I would say check us out, uh, www.bishopfox.com. Um, you know, uh, drop us a line. You can find us also. We've got uh, 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 RedSec on uh, Reddit. We've got uh, Discord channels. Um, you can hit us up on LinkedIn. We're active on all of the social media as well. Okay, fantastic. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being a part of the program today. Thanks for having us. Yeah. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. So much goodness in there. I hope that you found a couple of things that you and your organizations can start doing today to help make things just a little bit more secure. And if you need some of the deeper help, well, just head over to bishopfox.com. I know those guys would love to help you out. Now, speaking of help, we've got some great resources over on our website at rackspace.com slash solve. Now, as a reminder, there's nothing to buy there. There's no for sale sign. It's just great information. Additional podcast episodes from Cloud Talk, as well as our AI and You podcast, as well as a Spanish language podcast as well for our Spanish speaking IT professionals. So just head over to rackspace.com slash Solve. Now, all of this is made possible, not just from all the hard work here at Rackspace, but our sponsor, Dell Technologies. Thank you so much for your sponsorship, Dell Technologies. All right, folks, that's it for this week. As a reminder, if you're subscribed, these suckers will just download to your device every single week, because that's how often we make one of these. All right, I'm Jeff Deverter for Cloud Talk. We'll see you next week.